I'm Lindsay Berra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. Today, we're talking with Arik Almarola, driver of the number 10 Ford Mustang for Stuart Haas Racing in the NASCAR Cup Series. With six top five finishes, 18 top tens, and 305 laps led, 2020 was a career year for Almarola, but success on the track is about so much more than just the car. Drivers must prepare their bodies to endure extreme heat and G-forces while traveling at speeds upwards of 200 miles per hour for hours at a time, and they must have their nutrition so dialed in that they don't need either a drink or a snack while they're doing it. Arik, thanks so much for joining us today. It actually sort of ties right into my first question that I wanted to ask you. So your your kids are are young, correct? They are. I have an eight-year-old son and a seven-year-old daughter. And... I read online that you started go-karting at age eight. You said your son is playing flag football. Did you play other sports as a kid? What what drew you to the go-karting? Yeah, I did. I played every other sport there was to play. Uh, my, my parents believed in keeping me extremely busy and active to run off a bunch of energy that I had and to keep me out of trouble. And it, it seemed to work quite well. So I played a lot of sports, but racing was always my number one. If I had a choice on a Saturday to, to you know, go to a go-kart race or go to a baseball game, I always chose to go to the go-kart races because I loved it. And the adrenaline rush I got from go-kart racing was unlike anything else that I got. Who uh, introduced you to it? My grandfather got me heavily involved in, uh, in racing. That was really the guy that I looked up to the most growing up. He raced dirt sprint cars. And so as a child, going to watch him race was incredible. And he was very successful. And so because of that, I enjoyed going to the racetrack to watch him have all the success that he had. And he let me be a part of it. And it just grabbed a hold of me. And, you know, it's, it's all I've ever really wanted to do. How long did you continue playing those other sports along with racing? I played baseball all the way to high school. And starting out in high school, the coach was not having it that I wasn't 100% all in to baseball, which looking back on it, I totally understand his perspective. But for me, I thought it was so unfair. By no means did I think I was going to be a major league baseball player, but I was good. I mean, I I made the all-star team, you know, every year when I played little league baseball and had a lot of success playing baseball. And when I got to high school, the coach wanted me to play. And my stepbrother had actually played for him uh, the previous four years before I got there. So I knew the coach and he knew our family, but he wanted me to be fully committed uh, to the baseball team. And it was just not something that I could commit to. Uh, if I had a game on a Saturday and it was going to conflict with racing, I was always going to choose racing. What position did you play in baseball? I played shortstop and I, and I pitched. I would say I played shortstop more than I pitched, but I did a lot of pitching up until right, right there, right before high school. Did you, as a kid, realize that it would take a certain level of physical fitness to continue racing at the higher levels? Absolutely. I remember playing basketball and and playing baseball, and I ran track and field. I went to a Catholic private school uh, growing up, so we had sports as early as fourth grade. So yeah, I I did every sport there was to play, and, and I knew that athleticism was a big component to be successful at that sport, and it took practice. You know, it it took not only athleticism, but it took a concerted effort to get good at a craft. And so, yeah, I I was always a hustler and a good listener. Uh, I I would say that I was never the most raw talented athlete, but I hustled 
as hard as anybody else on my team. And, uh, and I just enjoyed the accountability of being on a team sport. So once the, the baseball, you know, he, he said that you had to be all in or out, did you then turn to focusing mostly on driving on racing? Yeah, I would say so. I still goofed around some with, with some sports and played, you know, a lot of pickup games and stuff, but never anything really seriously. Uh, racing became a lot more of my just focus. And if I had any spare time, it was spent at the race car shop. And at that time, you know, when I got to high school, I had just started to transition from go-kart racing to stock car racing. Mm -hmm. And the commitment from that, it would be like going from little league baseball to college baseball. You know, everybody, when you go to stock car racing, like there's a lot more work on the actual vehicle than go-kart racing. There's a lot more to learn. It was a whole new adventure for me and my family uh, to go stock car racing. And we just had to put so much focus in and so much effort and work to be successful at it that I really kind of lost out a lot on my childhood because of that. Not only was I trying to practice and, and become a better race car driver, but I was spending a lot of hours at the race car shop to try and make my race car go faster. Cause that's the one thing about, you know, racing that is so different than any other sport is that you can be on a losing baseball team and you can still hit two home runs, three home runs per game, right? You can be a really successful football player. You can run fast and catch great passes and you can be a great linebacker, but you can still be on a losing team in racing. You can be a great race car driver, but have a slow car and you are not going to overcome that. So as a kid, when I was growing up, I had to make sure that I was doing my part as the race car driver, but I also had to make sure that I was doing my part as, you know, the mechanic and the crew chief to make my race car go fast. So for those of us who grew up mostly playing team sports, I've never driven a race car in my life. And I'm sure most people who will listen to this podcast haven't. What does that look like? As you get into NASCAR, you have someone taking care of the car for you and doing all that, that other stuff. But as you're growing up, you're doing all of that. You're taking care of your car. And also like, just what does it mean to practice driving? Can you go out on the track anytime you want? How, how does that no. work? <laughs> yeah. So practicing you know, that, that's another thing that's very difficult for a race car driver. Every other sport, when I was a kid, I could pick up a basketball and go play for hours in my driveway. I could pick up a baseball and throw it with my dad or with my stepdad or with my stepbrother or with friends and throw in the yard for hours. Mm -hmm. You could pick up a football and, you know, run route and play with your friends. With racing, you can really only practice on the designated practice days at those racetracks. You can't really just practice whenever you want. It's a lot of work that goes into practicing to prepare the car. And it's very expensive. You know, it costs, once you buy the, the basketball and the goal, like it, it doesn't cost anything to go out there and shoot hoops. But to practice a race car, it costs a lot of money and fuel and tires, the travel to get to the racetrack that you're going to go practice at. Usually you have to rent the track because they have to prepare the track for you to get there. So it is thousands of dollars to just go practice. So that was, you know, something that I realized at a young age that not only was what I was doing as a race car driver, you know, challenging to make it as a professional, but the sacrifice and the commitment that my family had to make for me to be able to do it was unbelievable. So is this something where you're like pursuing sponsors from a really young age to, to have them help 
mitigate those costs. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You, it's, it's really hard to do uh, without sponsorship help. So I'm super interested in asking you all these fitnessy questions just because I've been a workout junkie my whole life, but I've been yeah. a traditional sport athlete, soccer, ice hockey, softball, you know, triathlon yeah. stuff. But for those of us who have never endured four hours in a race car going 200 miles an hour, can you like, what does that feel like to have the G forces and that heat impacting your body for that duration of time? Yeah. And, and I've wrestled with how to answer this question for a long time, as long as I've been a professional race mm -hmm. car driver, because people always want to know. And the best way I can really describe it for people to understand, and, and even people that aren't fitness junkies to understand, is imagine on the hottest summer day that you're driving on the interstate and that you have your heater in your car cranked on full blast. You have long johns on, underneath flannel pajamas because mm -hmm. we have to wear fireproof underwear under underneath a fireproof suit so not only is it hot in the car you have a lot of layers on to protect you from fire and you're going down the interstate and it is just scorching hot and you're getting no relief because the heater's on not the ac and as you're going down the the interstate you come up to one of those exits that circles around you know it doesn't just veer off it yeah. circles around and your car is on cruise control at about 80. Going on a straight line on the interstate, cruise control at 80, not a big deal. You might get a ticket, but it's <laughs> not like, oh my gosh, I'm going to crash. But leave your car on cruise control and try and make it around that roundabout. It gets a lot more exciting and a lot more intense. I mean, just even thinking about that, you would instinctually like tense up. You'd grip the wheel. You'd think about like your body trying to slide over in the car. That's what happens to us in the race car. And we do that on most of the tracks that we run are ovals. And so we do that for 500 miles, you know, four hours, and it is grueling on the body. The hydration, the sweat loss, all of those things is, is obviously one factor, but then the core stability, you know, if you think about driving in your street vehicle and you go around a corner really fast, you would, you would think you would just slide over in the seat or, or move around. Your body just doesn't have the stability so you have to really brace your core. And then there's a lot of shoulder involved as well because you got your hands out in front of your face for four hours on the steering wheel. So your shoulders, your pecs, and your core are always engaged for that you know three and a half, four hour duration. So is there a way to train for that other than just spending three to four hours in the car? Because I know you can mimic stability exercises, but nothing that you're going to hold for four hours sitting right. in the gym. Right. Yeah. There are some specific exercises, but the best exercise is repetition in the car. There's nothing that can really simulate the forces on your head and on your helmet. You know, we, we take the corners at some of these racetracks around two to two and a half G's, some, some upwards of three G's. So, you know, the human head weighs eight pounds, they say. You put a, a helmet on top of that that, you know, weighs another few pounds. So call it 10, 11 pounds. And at three G's, that's 30 pounds. So imagine if you had 30 pounds on top of your head and you were laying off the edge of, you know, the couch or the bed and you were trying to like lift your head up off the ground or off, keep it elevated. That's what we do in the race car. We're trying to keep our neck always locked down because if your head's bobbling around, you can't see where you're going. Yeah. And we're trying to hit, we're trying to hit marks on the racetrack so precisely within, you know, an inch of being on the seam or, or the spots on the racetrack that we want to be on with our car. 
that if your head's bobbling around, you can't focus that precisely. So our neck muscles and all those other muscles just get really worked. And the only way to really get the proper conditioning is to, you know, take the reps in the car. So you're not, you're not in the gym doing those things that the NFL linemen do with their head in that machine pushing against (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do some neck exercises, especially in the off season. You know, the off season is, is where the neck muscles will start to taper off a little bit. And so to get ready for the season, I'll ramp up the neck exercises. But once the season starts and the amount of time we spend in the car, it really is about flexibility for me. My cervix spine is so messed up from years and years of racing and going around left-hand corners only. So this left trap and my uh, neck muscles, all the scalenes and everything on the left side of my neck are so tight from just trying to hold my my head from not going like that Mm -hmm. around the left-hand corners that most of the season is really spent trying to make sure that everything stays flexible and not so tightened up. That's another thing, you know, everybody's talking about now after 2020 and what we've all been going through, spending so much time on Zoom and we sit so much more. I have a hard time standing up after sitting for 30 minutes at my desk. You're sitting as your job for, you know, four hours in a car with basically everything engaged. I would imagine that you have to have a pretty rigorous mobility routine when you get out of that car. Yeah. So not until Monday though. Um, (laughs) So I get out of the car. Usually we race on Sundays. So the races get over at six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock in the evening. It's a, a, a race to the airport after that, you know, go back to the airport, get on an airplane, fly home, get home at midnight or so pretty regularly on a Sunday night. And then Monday, Monday morning is get up, help the kids get off to school. And, and then once they get off to school, Monday's usually spent as a day for me to stretch and get all that range of motion and stuff back. Cause like you said, sit in a race car for three and a half hours or so, then sit in a rental car to the airport. Hop plane. on a yeah, hop on a private plane with our team to come home and sit on a plane for however long, you know, depending on where we're at in the country racing. And then you sit on a plane for a couple hours and then get home at the airport at home, get in your personal vehicle and drive home. You just I stay in a seated position for a lot of time on Sundays. So what does that Monday look like for you? What what's your recovery routine from that? Uh a lot of stretching a lot of stretching and and really just trying to open everything back up the chest, the shoulders. I get in a really bad posture with my shoulders rounded forward, holding onto the steering wheel. My hip flexors end up super tight just from sitting in that position for a long time, kind of, you know, rounded spine with my pelvis rolled forward, my knees up to fit me compactly inside the race car. So yeah, so I just end up really tight. So a lot of stretching and just a lot of mobility training usually on Monday. So that way by Tuesday, I can get back into a routine of my cardio and getting some lifts in. So that was another thing I was going to ask you about. I'm sure when you're in that car for the four hours with that heat and how much you're fighting that steering wheel, that your heart rate is probably pretty high the whole time. Yeah. So for those familiar with uh, sort of zone training, in a race car, I typically end up in, in what they call no man's land. I end up in zone three a lot. Um, you know, that, you know, there's a lot of talk about being in zone one or two for fat burning. And then when you get to zone four and five, you burn a lot of your carbohydrates and sugars and zone three is kind of this no man's land. So everybody tells you not to train 
in that zone, you should, you know, keep a low steady heart rate, or you should do interval training to where you spike up into those higher zones. But what I do for a profession, I end up in that zone three for a long, long time in these races. So I don't do all of my training there, but I do a fair amount of it just because that's where my, my heart rate and my body just typically lives in that zone. And what's crazy about that is what usually when I do go to take off for a bike ride or for a run, my body is so used to getting into that zone and staying in that zone that even if I go out for like an easy jog or an easy bike ride, my heart rate will just want to automatically get to that zone. And so I do a lot of training to train my body to get better and being more efficient at running a lower heart rate for a less strenuous exercise. And then when I call on it to elevate to go above that and get in that zone four, zone five, that threshold type workout that my body will react to that as well. So what does your week of workouts look like for you? Sunday race, Monday is mobility and recovery. Yeah. And then what, what about the rest with the cardio and the lifting? Yeah. So Tuesday is usually a pretty heavy cardio day. Again, just to try and not, not to tighten any of my muscles that I spent all day Monday trying to get them limbered back up. So Tuesday's usually cardio. If I have my choice, it's, it's cycling. I run, but I don't love running. Uh, I love to cycle. So cycling on Tuesday and, and just depending on how I feel, I go a lot off of how I feel now after years of doing it. And if I'm feeling good, I'll go, you know, for either a long, low heart rate bike ride. So a two, three hour bike ride in a low heart rate zone. Or if I'm, you know, depending on how I feel or what I've did the week before, I'll do some interval training. And uh, so just kind of mix it up on Tuesdays. Wednesday is definitely a, a day where I'm lifting. And usually I do total body lifts just to be more efficient. And um, that's just kind of what I've been accustomed to from the trainers and stuff that I've worked out with and the limited amount of time that I have to be in the gym because of the way my work weeks look. So Wednesdays in the gym, kind of a total body lift. Thursdays, give or take in the gym, but definitely going to do some cardio. And then Friday is usually in the gym and a little bit of cardio, not as much as Wednesday and Thursday or, or Tuesday and Wednesday. And then uh, I'm going to the racetrack again. And so Saturday is usually something very light cardio wise and depending on if I practiced and qualified. And then Sunday's race day. Do you do a race day morning workout? It depends on, on what's available. So it depends on if I'm across the country and in a hotel room. And, you know, now with the pandemic, most of the gyms and stuff are closed in all these hotel rooms. If I have my motor home, which I typically have my motor home everywhere on the East coast, I will get some sort of workout in. I'll, I'll do some body weight, some calisthenic stuff, or I'll hop on my trainer. Uh, I've got a, a bike that I keep on my motor home and I'll put it on a trainer and uh, do something just where I'm, you know, spinning my legs pretty fast, but not pushing a lot of power and just something to get my body moving, wake everything up, get the blood flowing, but definitely not anything too strenuous because I've got three and a half hours of hard work ahead of me. How often do you do those stability exercises for your core and your neck and your shoulders that you have to use while you're driving the car? Two days a week, but then in the winter time, it's more like four, three to four days a week. I would say four is the goal. And then just depending on if life gets in the way, it might be three. But yeah, I would say the winter time is definitely hyper-focused on that core neck strength. And then during the season, it's really about just trying to stay fresh. And our season is so long. Yeah. You know, 
I would say we have the longest season of all sports. We start our season usually in January with preseason testing and stuff in January. And it goes all the way through mid-November. Then we have our awards bank banquet usually the first week of December. So we really only get we really only get three or four weeks off, you know, from the second week of December through, you know, New Year's, the first week of January. There's not a lot of downtime. So because of that, it's a really big juggle and, and a balancing act between making sure you're staying fit and not just completely burning yourself out. Do you stay away from the car in those three weeks? Absolutely. Yeah. And even so, um, over these last couple of years, I've even stayed away from the gym for those three weeks. I won't even look at a gym. I have a gym in my house and, and I, I won't even won't even go to it. Uh, I'll go for a bike ride or a run or something like that just because I'm so used to it. It feels weird to do nothing. And my wife says I get a little bit cranky if I'm not doing some sort of you know physical activity. And that's just not who I am. I can't sit on the couch. But yeah, I, I don't have any sort of like regimen or plan or schedule or anything for those three or four weeks. Do you have, I always love asking people this question. Do you have exercises that you love to hate? The ones that you <laughs> know you need to do, but you hate to do them, but then you do them anyway because you're a pro? Yeah, running. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I know that I shouldn't always be on my bike just because of the posture that I'm in on my bike uh, with road cycling is surprisingly very similar to the posture that I'm in when I'm in a race car. You know, I'm hunched, pelvis rolled forward, hip flexors short, back rounded over, holding onto your handlebars, hands out in front of your face. So my posture is so similar to what I do in the race car when I'm on the bike that I know I shouldn't do that, but I, I love cycling. And so running for me is just the worst. I just don't enjoy running. It's also I, a lot I, of impact too. It is. It Especially is. if you need to do two hours of cardio, you're going to go out for yeah. a two hour run. That, that t- people have to work up to that duration of running. Yeah, absolutely. And it hurts. And I've had, I've had knee issues over the years. I've been in a few bad accidents and stuff. And so I've got uh, a lot of aches and pains and back injuries. I broke my back in a racing accident back in 2017. So I've been through, my body has been through a lot because of racing. And, um, you know, I, I feel everything in my whole body when I go run. And I'm sure some of it is because I'm not the best of runner. Like my form and technique could certainly be better, but yeah, that's the one thing that I hate to do, but I, I know that I should do it just so that my cardio doesn't always consist of cycling. The other thing would be swimming. I know swimming is low impact and I know it's good for me and it definitely helps with posture and keeping my head up and keeping my back flat and all of those things. So that is something that I do, but I also don't really enjoy swimming because again, I'm, I'm not that great at it. I'm good enough to get a workout in, but you know, I'll get in the pool with grandmas and grandpas and they'll out swim me just because their technique and their form is so much better. It's, swimming is not about how fit you are and, and how strong you are. It's so much about form and technique. I was going to ask you about that broken back. First of all, that's obviously a, a big injury. And also now at 37, you've been at this for a while. So how, yeah. as you've gotten older, and then as you've worked through those injuries, how has it changed your outlook on exercise and the way you work out? I would say it's changed the way that I work out just by the fact that I'm very conscious about the way that I load my spine now. You know, I've had a lot of injuries, 
you know, leading up to that with, you know, broken scapula, broken arms, broken hands, broken leg, broken, you know, tibia, fibia, all those things, knee injuries. But when I broke my back, I broke the T5 vertebrae. I crushed it in half. Um, and I was very fortunate that it didn't split all the way through. It crushed like a soda can would crush and it split down the middle mm. and the last like tiniest bit held together. Otherwise the way it was crushed in a wedge shape, the bottom part would have slid back into my spinal cord and I probably wouldn't have any function from about my breast down. Mm. Um, so I was very fortunate with that, but through that recovery process, uh, I was very aware of the way that I, you know, put load on my spine. And from that time forward, I've been just very diligent about posture. And I've been very diligent about squatting, like putting a squat bar on the back of my neck, like that will never happen again for me, (laughs) ever. Like, that's just not something that I'll do. I won't put that load right on my spine. And and things like that. uh, I'm just very conscious of it. So how do you squat? Do you do front rack squats or genie squats or low bar? What do you, what do you do? Yeah. So, uh, front, front rack squats, or honestly, I've gotten to where I will do sumo squats and just rep it out. Um, you know, I'll sit there and put a dumbbell close to the chest or, and just rep out a 75 pound dumbbell there and, and just go until my legs scream at me. <laughs> um, but the days of me, the days of me putting a bunch of weight, and for me, a bunch, I'm, you know, I'm six one and I weigh 160 pounds for me, a bunch of weight is very different than probably athletes that you talk to, but putting a 185, 200 pounds on a, on a bar and putting it on my spine. Uh, I'm just not going to do that anymore. I would imagine that a 75 pound goblet squat, you're training muscular endurance more anyway, which is much more relevant to you in a race car. It is. It absolutely is. Everything that I do, you know, I don't have to be explosive to be a race car driver. I don't have to run fast. I, you know, a lot of what I do is muscular endurance. And so you're exactly right. I've, I've adjusted my training to fit that where I would say before I trained, this is going to sound terrible. And pardon me for saying that, but I, I trained more like the meatheads that I hung out with, right? Like I, I, I just, I listened and learned from them and I would train like them. And like, I want to be fit. I want to be strong and never really put much, you know, focus or attention on just being healthy and having, I always thought of cardiovascular endurance and muscle and strength and being strong. And I never thought about how those, you know, intersected and worked together. Six foot 160, is that your natural weight or do you have to work hard (laughs) to stay that lean? I have to work hard at that. Yeah, I have to, I have to work hard at that. That's a, it's a racing thing. You know, if you can imagine we talked about going down the interstate and going around that roundabout, right? Yeah. A semi truck has to go a lot slower around that roundabout because the weight is up high. And if it goes super fast around that curve, it will tip, it will literally tip over. That's called center of gravity. Right. And so a sports car, a Ford Mustang going around that same curve can go way faster because the center of gravity is way lower. So in racing, the race car driver, is not the lowest point on the race car. We sit in the car and we're elevated off the ground. So you don't really want to be heavy as a race car driver because you're raising the center of gravity. So what would be considered heavy for a race car driver? (laughs) I would say anything over like 185 is, is pretty heavy. Okay. So you're, so you're doing pretty well at 160 there. (laughs) Yeah. But we have some guys, we have, we have some guys that are 
short little guys, you know, they're five, four, five, five that weigh 125, 135 pounds. Wow. When you are in the car for four hours and you go in at 160, what do you come out at? Yeah, I would say before I go into the race, I'm not 160. Just the my diet and the way that I take on fluid and stuff pre-race, I would say I'm more like 162, 163. And then I would say post-race on the really hot summer months, I'm, I'm around 155. So I lose seven to eight pounds in, in a race. And That's I try crazy. and yeah, and I my goal is to have all of it back on. I'm try I usually try and be back to 160 to 161 by Monday night or Tuesday morning. And how do you do that? Just by pounding fluids or Yeah, hyd- hydration. And uh one of the things that for me, you know, the, the hydration and the electrolytes and all that that is so important because mm-hmm we just sweat so much. Like I explained, you know, it's, it's 135 degrees mm-hmm. inside the car and we're wearing long johns with flannel pajamas. So it, it is just unbelievable how much we sweat. And, and I've become so used to it. Like sweating doesn't bother me in the least, but because of that, you know, it's so important to get the hydration right. And uh, I've been fortunate to team up this year, the well, last year and this year with Honey Stinger. They're an endurance athlete, nutritional product. And um, they make more mainstream products as well. And they've been great to work with. And, and they have certainly helped elevate that for me and, and get me up even more dialed in on my hydration. I personally, the gluten-free honey stinger salted caramel waffle is like my favorite thing on planet Earth. <laughs> yeah, there you go. My son, my son will literally fight me over the vanilla or cinnamon flavored uh, honey stinger waffles. So, They're really yeah. good. Can you drink while you're in the car? Only under uh, caution. So any, anytime there is a, um, it's not really a timeout, but anytime there's a caution where we ride around under pace laps and we're not at full speed, uh, I can I can drink. I've got an insulated water bottle inside the car. Um, and you just flip and it, up and squeeze it? Uh, no, it has a hose. I can't flip okay. up and squeeze it because I have a full face helmet on. Okay. Um, and, and so it has a hose that I can get up underneath my helmet and drink out of it. So you, prior to the race, you are just going in with a ton and ton of, of fluids already in your body. Yeah, I am well topped off before the race, which would lead you to ask the question, well, what do you do if you have to go pee, right? That's sure. the common question. But because of that, because of the sweat loss and, and how hot it is in the car, it is a rarity to ever have to go pee. Like I, I measure how well I did on my hydration on whether or not when the race is over, if I have the urge, right. Um, (laughs) There's sometimes in the middle of summer where uh, after the race, you know, I'll get in, I'll change my clothes, get cleaned up, get in the rental car, go to the airport, fly home and still haven't gone to the bathroom yet. Um, Yeah. So that just gives you an example of how dehydrated we get. What is your diet like? That is something that I've worked really hard at over the years. Um, my diet is very clean, very real foods, foods that are either grown from the earth or foods from things that roam the earth. Try to stay away from a whole lot of processed stuff, but do use it. I, I already said we've got a, I've got a partner in Honey Stinger, but it's so important and so key to be mindful of the processed foods that you do eat, what is in it. And, and that is that is so key. So I've I've done a lot of, work and I've worked with dietitians and stuff to hone in my eating. And so I would say I am 80, 85% a really, really clean, wholesome eater, fruits, vegetables, meat, 
I've got, <laughs> I've got a great sponsor in Smithfield. So we end up uh, with, with a lot of great food to grill out with and, and cook. But all of that to say, I've also got two little kids. And so by golly, if, if we're going to have, if mom bakes brownies, dad's gonna dad's gonna eat a brownie you know what i mean like i'm just gonna do it like i i try and make sure that i'm doing the right things and staying staying healthy and eating the right foods but i also know that eating some cake on someone's birthday or eating a brownie or eating some oatmeal raisin cookies that mom baked or whatever else is not going to kill me and it makes it a little bit more fun and i can get right back on the bandwagon i'm not one of those guys that if I start having that stuff that my diet immediately flips to 85% junk food, 20, you know, 15, 20% good food, I, I stay on track and I'm really that, you know, 80, 20 guy. I've seen you grilling on your Instagram. Do you like to cook? I do. Yeah, I do. I, that's one thing I've learned about myself over the last probably five, six years is that I enjoy cooking. I've gone with my wife to several cooking classes and, you know, we take a date night and go to a cooking class and stuff. And I like it. It's fun. And um, it's, it's fun for me to learn how to make healthy food taste good. I mean, that's the key, right? I think so many people don't eat healthy because they're like, ugh, Brussels sprouts. It's like, well, if you learned how to cook them, like they can be really good and still healthy for you. So yeah, we've, we, uh, we enjoy cooking at home. I travel so much that it's fun to eat a, a home-cooked meal around the dinner table at home. Do you, do you have specialties now, like your go-to meals that you prepare? Uh, yeah, I would say, I would say a go-to at our house is, uh, my wife will make a, a marinated pork tenderloin and I'll grill that or smoke that. And then, you know, we'll have that with a salad and, and maybe some, uh, roasted carrots and Brussels sprouts or roasted carrots and steamed broccoli and maybe some brown rice. My wife cooks uh, a lot of rice in the Instapot. My kids love rice. So yeah. That sounds delicious. Do you have a favorite cheat meal? Favorite cheat meal would be probably pizza. And it's not, we, we try to do the best we can with that. We get an olive oil base and put a lot of, you know, put maybe chicken on it and pineapple and bacon <laughs> and uh, a little tiny, tiny bit of cheese. But yeah, we, that, that would probably be my one cheat meal is, is I love pizza. You're Cuban. Does your family make any Cuban food? Yeah, they do. They make a lot of Cuban food, but that's usually not on the diet. <laughs> it's so good though. It is so good. <laughs> Your 2021 yeah. season was a bit rockier than you had hoped for or anticipated. What are your goals for the rest of the season? I would say our goals for the rest of the season is to just dig out of the hole and try and get some sort of create some positivity out of what has been a pretty negative season. We started on such a high. We won the first race of the year down in Daytona, the preseason race called the Daytona duels to, to start the season and had such high hopes after that going into the season. And we have just had so much bad luck, a lot of things out of our control, some in our control that, you know, we've made mistakes on, but for the most part, it's just been a pretty tough season. And I know that you go through those in life, right? You go through seasons of life that are great. You go through seasons that are not so great. And we're in one of those not so great ones right now. So we just want to turn it around. We want to have some positive things happen. Cool. Well, good luck with it. Stay safe. Thank be you. well. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great one. Thanks, Art. Great, great interview, too. Thank you. Super fun. It's very interesting. 
Thanks so much to Arik for joining us today and be sure to follow along this summer as he aims for his fourth consecutive NASCAR playoff appearance. Next time on Food of the Gods, we talk with veteran National Hockey League defenseman Michael Delzato. He's known as one of the fittest players in the NHL, but it has taken years of tinkering with his training regimen and his nutrition to reach that point. Until then, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Diginant Podcast production. Podcast.